Hello and welcome. You're listening to Building with People for People, the Unfiltered Build podcast, where we talk to people behind the tech, explore their journeys, and make sense of what and how we build through a human lens. I'm your host, Nigel Finley. Today, we examine the world of learning how to code from the perspective of the teacher and dive into what it's like to sit in the driver's seat, creating content and running a successful YouTube coding community. We also discuss how to learn, tips on asking for help, best places to start your code journey, and much, much more. Our guest today is a beacon of hope for career changers everywhere. She's a self-taught coder who began her coding career doing data entry and now creates extremely approachable, fun, entertaining, and very educating tutorials for beginner web developers via her blog, online courses, and videos. She is a YouTube sensation with a community of over 361,000 subscribers that she's built from the ground up. She's been in the industry now for eight years recently quitting her full-time job to focus 100% on our YouTube community and has worked on every part of the development stack. When she's not making content or coding, she enjoys drinking tea, reading, playing guitar, and gaming via Fortnite. Jessica Chan, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me, Nigel. Really excited to get in, get into your your journey and to talk about everything that you're doing. Um, When I first found you, you know, you, you have a very similar similar path to myself is very non-traditional uh, and some of the frustrations that you've highlighted in your videos and ways to overcome them are things that I definitely experienced myself. So I'm just really happy to have that shared experience with you and for you to share that with with all of our listeners listeners today. Yeah, definitely. I feel like there's a lot of self-taught developers out there and, you know, I think it can be hard to feel like you, you know, match up with people who may have gotten a computer science degree. So definitely happy to sort of spread the, the word that you can still make it even if you haven't gotten a degree in it. Absolutely. So let's start with your journey. So your journey into software development to me is, as I mentioned, is just one of inspiration. And you started as a pre-med in college and you shifted to a photography degree and then to full-time developer slash instructor. So tell us about your journey with your first inclination of interest in coding with the Zanga blog. <laughs> yeah, so as I mentioned, I didn't you know, get a degree in computer science, but I was always interested in computers from a pretty young age, I would say. So the Zanga blog is probably the first, one of the first instances where I was, you know, using CSS, very basic CSS at the time to customize the look of my blog online just so I could, I don't know, look cool to my friends or whatever. Um, But yeah, I had taught myself basic HTML and CSS in high school. Um, I guess it felt like it was not too long after the internet kind of exploded um, in the world. And so... I thought it was the coolest thing to build like a GeoCities page on snowboarding, which was like my oh, obsession yes. at the time. Um, so GeoCities, yeah, like that. throwback. Yep. Yep. Awesome. You could totally like, you, you'd like try to tile, tile all the images and get some crazy colors going. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. It was very, it was very nineties. Lots of uh, animated GIFs of <laughs> buttons and things like that. Um, but yeah, it was, was kind of like a hobby for me. I, I don't know why, but I just didn't really see it. Didn't I didn't somehow make the connection that this could be a job. 
sometimes I look back on my time then and I wish that I had made the connection because I feel like I could have, like, I don't know, not that my career hasn't been amazing, but I feel like I could have had a very interesting career if I had started from that young of an age making websites, like, for a job. But, you know, things happened. Um, and it was just kind of a hobby until maybe my 20s where I had gotten a degree in photography, um, like you said, and I just didn't really know, really know what to do with myself um, career-wise. So did some temp jobs. I landed this data entry position and the skills that I gained there because they actually ended up teaching me back in programming. I was able to um, make, I was able to land an actual formal web developer job at an ad agency after that. So that was kind of the beginning of my official web developer career. And that's kind of led me up to where I am today. And so with your photography degree that you got, how would you say that your knowledge and experience sort of in that realm help you in the creation of your videos? Um, I do have to mention that the video creation process is a very collaborative one with my husband, who is a video professional video editor and animator, super talented, super creative. So, um, I feel like I always need to um, be honest and confess that a lot of the really cool looking things aren't actually up to me, but I think having that artistic background definitely does help because even with just like making thumbnails that people will click on and sort of trying to imagine what the viewer is maybe thinking through as they watch the video or looking, looking at your thumbnail, I think um, getting the art degree did help a little bit in terms of that. Um, just to keep in mind that, you know, these sort of visual media are a way of communicating with people. That's kind of the reason why we're doing this, right? We're sharing valuable information with people um, visually and, you know, verbally, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In this case. Yeah, absolutely. So along your journey, was there a moment in time when you decided, you know what, I'm going to create content to help others learn to code? Was there sort of an aha moment or did it sort of just happen naturally? Or how did, how did you kind of fall into this YouTube community? A little bit of both, I think. Um, I think I always really enjoyed making blogs, um, starting from the Zanga days. Um, but I always enjoyed that. And when I was, I was just thinking about this um, today, actually, because I was working on a video topic about learning. And when I was a junior developer, just starting out, you know, getting stuck all the time, one way that I would help myself remember things was to write things down. So I actually ended up making just a blog, not trying to, you know, make it big or anything, but just for my own purposes, where I'd write down, okay, how to do X, Y, and Z. And then I would write down the instructions on how to do it. So I'm basically helping my future self, which is by writing these blog posts, essentially. Um, so I sort of got used to doing that. And then I have also always kind of been interested in maybe being self-sufficient or like running my own business, that kind of thing. Um, that was always very appealing to me. And so I was actually on a flight to visit my friend in Japan. And I was reading this book on the plane called The $100 Startup by Chris Gillibo. And in the book, he asked you, the reader, you know, thinking about what kind of ideas um, for businesses that you could think of what are you passionate about? And that can help other people. Um, so then I was like, whoa, well, I guess 
the biggest, one of the biggest passions in my life is coding because, you know, being a self-taught coder, it completely transformed my life and my career opportunities and made my life a lot better. And I feel like that's something that I could help other people also do the same thing in their lives. Um, and, you know, I enjoyed writing these blog posts and I, I do get a lot of satisfaction out of helping people sort of achieve something in their life and helping them understand things. So it sort of felt like a really good combination of skills and experience that I had from my job and also things that I found satisfaction in, um, in, in the world, I guess. <laughs> so that's kind of how that all started. I love that. I love that. And I love that it's, that it's truly in service of, of helping others too. You know, I think we need more people like you in the world. <laughs> so you wrote an article uh, about your journey on Free Code Camp, and you mentioned a few things that you learned from your journey, like researching answers before asking for help, uh, taking detailed notes, kind of like how you mentioned turned into your your blog post. Can you elaborate on these two points? You know, researching answers before asking for help and taking detailed notes. Can you kind of talk about why those things are important. Yeah. Um, I think that when we think about learning how to code and becoming a web developer, there's a lot of emphasis on learning the technical skills, like all the CSS, JavaScripts, you know, et cetera, which obviously are very important. But I think what sometimes get, gets overlooked a little bit, not all the time, obviously, is the, I guess people call them soft skills, but just skills that make you not only a good programmer, but a good person to work with, like a good team player because you know, at your job, it's not very often, you're not gonna be just a solo developer or just by yourself. You're working with a team, you're working with designers, copywriters, project managers, you know, other developers too, depending on the project. And so um, if you're learning and you're just starting out as an entry-level developer, I feel like skills of learning how to research before asking for help is really important because you, are going to be constantly learning. There's a really steep learning curve, as I'm sure everybody knows, when it comes to coding. And the more you can be a little bit more autonomous and not have to completely depend on other people giving you the answers, the more you can find the answers out for yourself using, you know, Google, Stack Overflow, etc. Um, I think the better you'll be, and the less you'll annoy your your coworkers by, you know, if you're asking them questions every two minutes, that can get a little bit tiring. Um, and I think on the same note, taking detailed notes sort of also helps you do the same thing. So because when you're learning something new, you don't just learn it one time and then remember it forever. You know, it takes probably multiple times to solve the same problem before it starts really sticking in your brain and making that connection. So I found it for myself, at least, um, taking notes sort of helps me to remember things Either, either just by writing it down or by having it, knowing that I can refer back to it next time I encounter the same problem. So I felt like those, those skills are good to try to get better at, um, especially when you're starting out. I love that. And are there, are there any other tips that you can share that you kind of have learned as a part of that journey in that article? I was very stressed the first year or two when I was at my first job um, because I felt like I felt like a fake. I guess I did feel like an imposter. Um, and I don't know if I had this explicit fear, but I did sort of have this 
thought in the back of my mind of if they find out how bad I am at coding, they're going to fire me. Um, but that didn't happen. Um, and so I think other advice for people starting out, even if they aren't in a job yet, is to just kind of be patient with yourself because, you know, web development is super complex and it just takes time to get better. And you will get better the more you keep working at it and the more you keep learning. Um, that's just kind of the nature of things. So I personally felt a lot more confident by year five. I know that sounds like a mm. long time, but mm. when I hit year five, I really felt like even if I didn't know how to do something that was asked of me for a work project, I knew that I had the skills to look it up, do some trial and error and test. And then if I really needed help, I could always ask another developer who was more experienced than me. But I think, yeah, it just takes time. So you, you gotta be patient with yourself, but, and it's really hard to not, I think, be stressed and anxious sometimes, but yeah, just, it'll, it'll get better over time. Yeah. And so I guess kind of along with that a little bit, you mentioned imposter syndrome, but I'm, I'm curious when you first started out coding, working for the web dev shop, you mentioned on your website that you had often felt extremely lost and confused. I've been there. I'm sure we've all been there. I continue to have days like that. And my question is, what do you do during those times? How do you kind of get through those periods? Yeah, I think along with kind of being patient with yourself and giving yourself that time, I think um, having realistic expectations is kind of important. Um, because, and what I mean by that is I think that sometimes if we don't know the answer to everything off the top of our head, it can be easy to fall into this thinking of like, oh, like I'm not really good enough to be a real developer because I don't remember this. But the fact is like even professional web developers and, you know, I worked in the industry for eight years. No one knows everything off the top of their head. Like. I'm 100% confident that's that's true because there's just there's just too much to learn, and so it's okay to you know look things up. It doesn't mean you're a fraud, and it's okay to not know everything because um, we're all constantly learning. That's just part of what being part of this industry that's changing so quickly all the time um, sort of entails. So along along those lines, kind of continuing down this road of helpful advice. If you had to give three tips to your younger self when you first started to code, other than the three, you know, be patient mm -hmm. and researching answers before asking for help and taking detailed notes, what other three tips would you give? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Lots of helpful advice in this, hopefully. Um, yeah. I think maybe as I sort of touched on a bit earlier, I think it is really important to learn how to learn um, and to sort of teach yourself. Cause I think a lot of people, I see a lot of questions of like, oh, I need a mentor to help me as I learn how to code. And it's just really, in my opinion, rare to have this one-on-one -on -one mentor um, situation, even though, you know, I'm sure they're awesome if you can find one, but if you can sort of um, learn how to maybe mentor yourself or like educate yourself, then, you know, you'll be, you'll be better off in the long run. Um, you'll be able to learn more quickly. Um, I think the second tip would be if you are a self-taught developer or just starting out, I would, again, try to have 
like reasonable expectations for yourself. And especially if you're self-taught, if you're not in school or some kind of coding boot camp where they're setting the pace for you, I think it's really important to figure out a pace that is sustainable, even if it's not as many you know hours per day as you would like to have. I think it's more important to make sure you don't burn out because that's what's going to lead you to maybe giving up eventually. Um, so I think that's also important. Um, and lastly, I think, especially for self-taught developers who aren't part of a school program, is to try to find online community. I think this is really, it can be really helpful, but it also can be kind of tricky to find. Um, but I know that Free Code Camp, they have a Discord, I believe, that anyone can join. Um, Frontendmentor.io, they're a website that I always recommend because they have designs that you can learn how to build. And they have, I believe, a Slack community that anyone can join. And you know, you can help others and ask questions yourself um, if you get stuck on something. And so I feel like that's just really helpful to be able to have um, a space like that. Um, and of course, if you do join these communities, try to help others as much or more as you are asking for help, because otherwise there's going to be a lot of questions and no one, them, no one is going to be answering them. Well, those are great. So with the first one, learning how to learn, are there things that you've found to kind of help you do that better? Um, one thing I do try to do is if I'm building something and I get stuck on some having to build some feature that I don't fully understand how to do, and I do research, um, I do try to read the documentation as much as possible. So for example, um, MDN, Mozilla Developer Network, they have, they're such a very good comprehensive resource um, for learning new things. And, you know, maybe it's not the most entertaining looking website, but I do think that they're really helpful. Um, so I think it's good to try to read documentation when you can. Um, and yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I can't think of anything else at the moment. No worries. Well, you meant you did mention that you were working on an article around learning. Is it this idea or is it a different a different idea? Um, it's talking a little bit about the, I think, different kinds of learning that go into web developer skills. So essentially, I think there's two directions of learning. So one direction, and I it totally made this up, but it's definition first learning. So it's, for example, you learn what the definition of CSS border radius is. It lets you round corners of elements. But when you're working in a real world environment, no one's gonna like quiz you to define border radius. It kind of goes the, in the opposite direction where it's like, okay, I have to build this card with a photo in it and stuff. And the photo has to have rounded corners. So then you start with the question, how do I make this photo have rounded corners? And the answer to that is CSS border radius. And that's a simple example. You know, obviously websites and web apps can get a lot more complex but so the topic is this idea of these two different kinds of learning and how you need to actually practice both of them. Because if you just watch a tutorial, you're not going to cement those, those skills and those concepts until you work the other way by practicing actually building websites and building projects. So that's really interesting. That's the, 
that's the, the the newest scoop on what's upcoming, I guess, for Coder Coder. <laughs> I love it. Looking forward to reading that. That sounds a little bit kind of like theory versus practical. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Kind of idea. Yeah. That's awesome. Great. Well, depending on when you release it, maybe we'll maybe we'll add that in the show notes for the listeners to check out. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, for curious minds who want to see if developing is something to pursue you know you have lots of content right that uh, would be great for beginners to check out where should they begin i know you have one that's learn web development as an absolute beginner is that a good place good place to to start and are there other places you know your content or elsewhere yeah i think that's definitely a good place to start so it's like both a blog post and i made a youtube video version of it as well. Um, and that video is, I think it's, yeah, it's definitely the most highly viewed video on my channel. And I think it's because, you know, it kind of goes through this roadmap of the different areas that you need to learn to do both front end and back end um, web development to, to learn those. And then there's also some resources that I mentioned and linked to. Um, so yeah, as a beginner, I think it is good to try to have a roadmap in mind just so you know what you need to learn. So it's not this kind of amorphous, like, I don't know, black hole. Which is easy to to dive into in this whole, <laughs> whole web dev engineering world, right? I mean, there's just so much out there that you could learn, right? For so sure. having, those, yeah. having those guardrails, I agree, is extremely important. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so having the roadmap. And then I think if you're not sure 100% if you want to be a developer, I think it's good to try to find some free options before you, you know, start paying for courses or a bootcamp or something. So I usually recommend, you know, free code camp or the Odin project is another good free resource. And even on YouTube, there's a lot of videos where um, people make basically like coding bootcamp in like a video where you learn HTML, CSS, JavaScript, um, you know, backend programming, stuff like that. So it's at least um, enough where you can, Try it out and see if you like it um, before you start, you know, spending money on it. <laughs> okay, so let's say I've done that and I'm ready to go. I've watched your watched your video, your roadmap video. I've I want to start learning. Where where should I go now? Right, like I I've maybe gone down some things. I'm having having a hard time staying focused getting frustrated with myself, what should I do? Um, yeah, so I think I have some videos on, I guess, um, the learning process or just, they're kind of aimed towards beginners who, and I try to address some of the frustrations that people come up against. So yeah, I have a video about how to stay motivated when learning to code um, that hopefully is helpful. Uh, I think I have another video of stop wasting time when you're learning to code, which I guess, is hopefully also helpful. Um, I think when you're learning and you feel like you've learned the basics, I think it's good to try to just start building stuff. Um, and I think one set of, one type of video that I do make is like these live coding type videos where you can watch me build like a website, a front end website from scratch with HTML and CSS or SAS and JavaScript, just because you, get to see my thought process and the places that I get stuck and have to like Google them and things like that. And I think 
it can help give beginners an insight into, you know, what's it like actually being a developer. It's like, I'm not just like writing perfect code at like 100 miles an hour and then, you know, hit save and I made zero mistakes. I think these live coding videos are important because they show the mistakes that I do make, which is just a natural part of life. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point that you bring up around, you know, pairing with other people or watching people code. Because I feel like when I first started out, you know, you just kind of think, okay, it's just, I'm going to be coding in a vacuum and just, you know, pumping out a feature. And I'm sure there are those kinds of jobs, but a lot of times, a lot of what you're doing is you're actually pairing with people and you're actually working together to solve problems, which I find one of the coolest parts of programming. You know, I think my parents have a view of, oh, you know, I just sits in his, sits in his dark hole and, you know, doesn't talk to anyone all day, right? Which is, couldn't be further from the truth. Um, so my point, I guess, is do you, is that kind of why you feel like you create those videos? And are there other ways that beginners can kind of find, I mean, you mentioned finding a community, which I think that's a, that's a part of it. What other ways can, can people sort of take advantage, you know, live coding videos? What else? Um, you mean like take advantage of content that I have or content that you have or mm -hmm. like things that you found to help you learn sort of in that community aspect or pairing or that sort mm -hmm. of thing? Yeah, I, I don't know if this completely answers your question, but one reason, the main reason I make videos like that is because I had the benefit of learning on the job where I had super supportive mm -hmm. boss. I had like senior developer coworker. They were all like super helpful. Um, and I definitely owe a lot of my career to them with, you know, the amount of time they spent answering my questions and showing me how to do things and, you know, me watching over their shoulder or vice versa with things that I, you know, didn't really know how to do. And so I think that type of experience is hard to come by unless you happen to be in that specific type of environment. So those, these types of videos that I make is maybe in some ways trying to be an online mentor in a way and creating mm. this type of content where people can see, you know, how you would think and approach these different problems that you have to solve as, you know, you're building stuff out. So that's, yeah. So that's what I try to do basically with all my content. Like I, I'm really focused on helping beginners and equipping them to um, become web developers in their career. So I guess I just try to think of all the different things that frustrated me over the years and hopefully try to save others of the pain of having to go through that themselves. <laughs> I love it. Well, your content is extremely approachable and consumable, you know, partially in, due to your husband's mastery, but mainly due to your content, right? Um, for example, you have one video where you're explaining front end and back end using the restaurant metaphor. Can you kind of give us a quick rundown of, of what the restaurant metaphor is as it applies to coding? Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm pretty sure I did not invent the restaurant metaphor because I've seen it in other places. So maybe somehow by osmosis, it like, anyway, I don't want to take credit for that. But yeah, so basically the, the front end of the restaurant is what you see as a customer. You know, it's like the, you go inside, you see 
the lighting inside and like what the furniture looks like and the carpet and whatever, um, all the things that you can see and then the food that comes out. Um, so the front end of a website is similar to that because it kind of deals with what you see um, as a, the client using the browser, loading a website and just, you know, seeing it pop up on the page. Um, alternatively, the, the back end of the restaurant is where you don't usually see, right? You have all the cooks running around, making the food that comes out to the front end. And so the back end is kind of like the more logic server side database uh, part of the website that you can't visually see, but you can sort of see the effects of as they affect the front end. So that's kind of what I was uh, thinking about with that metaphor. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So do you have sort of a strategy that you use to help kind of break down some of these complicated uh, concepts into consumable, you know, bits? Is there uh, something that you, you know, a strategy that you go through to, to think about it? Um, mainly, I would say I try to really put myself in the shoes of, you know, my audience who I'm assuming is beginner web developers or at least people who aren't super experienced in the front end. Um, and I try to think about how, what kind of content would make it easiest for them to understand these complex topics. So, you know, I try to avoid using a lot of technical, super technical terms that aren't easily understandable to, you know, non, non-developers. And I try to sort of think about the different steps of what the concept is and try to explain it in a way that, you know, kind of makes sense. Um, and actually working with my husband on this has helped a lot because He's not a developer. He knows some programming um, just with his animation work, but it helps a lot when he reads a script and he's like, this doesn't make any sense at all because you're just, mm. you're, you're explaining a term by using another term and that doesn't really help. So that's been a really good um, practice for me to change the way I might normally explain something to make it more palatable for people who might not be coders yet. I love that. I think that's great because I think a lot of times tech can be intimidating because of how complicated it can be, right? But I think breaking these kinds of things down help to build your confidence up so that when you do face these terms, you know, oh yeah, it was, you know, it's this parallel, it's this metaphor that I remember and I, I understand what this means now. So I think that's, yeah. I think that's great and how you do that. So the message here, really, we're talking about all your videos and we're going to keep talking about your videos, <laughs> is for the listeners to go check out your content because it is, it's truly awesome. Speaking of, thanks. the next one, next video that I wanted to kind of allude to and talk about because I think it's really interesting and we had some interesting conversations before we recorded the show. This one is, is around the fight with your own saboteur. And the video is called, Are You Sabotaging Your Coding Career? Now, because this is not a visual production, I can't show you, but you should go watch it. But essentially, it's an extremely well-produced video. It has fight scenes of you fighting yourself in the style of Mortal Kombat, which I love. I feel like everything that you do just like has some throwbacks to this 8-bit, you know, sort of old-school video games. And I, I'm a huge fan of that. Um, and But with that, the point here of the video is that you're talking about three ways that you might be harming your career. So just briefly walk us through this video, why you created it. Uh, and let's kind of talk about those, those three ways, because I think they're also great uh, to discuss. 
Yeah. So this video, as you mentioned, it's like career advice. So this is not programming or coding technical information at all. It's more around these, I guess, soft skills, for lack of a better word. Um, so it's advice for beginner web developers and how they can be better developers in their career. So the first one, hiding mistakes. These are all different um, pitfalls that you might fall into, which I personally have experienced all of them and had to get over, struggle, struggle with. Um, the first one is hiding your mistakes. So for example, if you make some mistake that somehow ends up on the production website, it's better to, as soon as you know what happened, talk to somebody so they can figure out a solution. Because if you hide your head in the sand, hoping that no one notice will notice, that might work. Maybe no one will notice it. But if someone does notice, especially your client, once it's on the production, um, you're probably going to get into a little bit of trouble. So it's, it's really hard to do because I think we all don't like to look bad in front of other people, but long-term your, your boss will really appreciate much more if you admit when you have made a mistake so that they can fix things more quickly because, you know, it's not just you and your, your reputation on the line. It's also the reputation of your employer um, to their clients. So I don't think I ever got, I never got in trouble for making a mistake because I would, you know, if I talked to someone on my team or my boss about it. So, yeah. Um, the second one was not asking for help when you should. And that's kind of a counter to, I think, what we mentioned a bit earlier in our conversation about always asking for help like every five minutes because um, that can kind of annoy your coworkers. But not asking for help is in terms of, you know, let's say you're working on a website project and you're kind of stuck. And so you're like, okay, I'm going to Google this and try to figure it out myself because I don't want to, you know, be a burden on people around me. But if you're, you know, battling with this for like six hours when you could have had it solved in like maybe 30 minutes or less, if you asked for help, then that's not good. So you, you kind of have to balance out how much you're sort of asking from other people versus being able to finish your work in a timely manner. So I think maybe along with that, a side thing to keep in mind is that deadlines are super important. Um, you know, I worked in advertising and you got to have your work done by the deadline. And if you don't think you're going to meet that, you need to tell your project manager like ASAP. Um, so it's really just, it's, a matter of sort of looking outside just yourself individually and trying to do what's best for your team and for your company. Um, and then the last one was being defensive and close-minded, which in my opinion is maybe the biggest way that you could hurt your career. And, you know, I'm not going to name any names, but I have worked with some developers over the years who were defensive and close-minded. And by that, I mean, if they were asked to do something that they didn't know how to do, instead of trying to work with that and figure it out, they would just be like, I can't do this. This is not possible. And that's kind of unfortunate because if you have to do something for a client, you like, you don't have a choice. Like you have to do it one way or the other, as long as it's reasonable, of course. So I think that one was hard also for me to sort of, get better at because when I'm asked to do something I didn't know how to do, especially earlier in my career, 
um, you know, you feel kind of vulnerable showing a weakness or um, a side of yourself that's like maybe not perfect because, you know, I think we all would like to be perfectionists. Um, so it's very easy, I think, to become defensive when you have to step out of your comfort zone. Um, but again, I think I learned that, you know, no one really cares if you know something or not, as long as you're willing to find the answer, either from research or other people, like they really don't care. They don't care if you have everything memorized. Like if you have to look up something, that's like completely fine. So I think just being open to saying like, yeah, I don't know how to do this, but let me research this for a few hours and I'll get back to you. Um, so just really trying to work with people and throwing a bone to like your product managers because yeah, they have to deal with a lot of people's expectations. So I think that can be difficult for them. Yeah. Yeah. Really being a team player too at the end of the day. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's kind of switch gears a little bit because I want to talk about your, um, the coder coder, which is your online persona. Is that your community? Is that correct? I mean, I, I know yeah. that's kind of like your website and your, what your community <laughs> name is, but is that also kind of like your persona? Yeah, I, I guess you could say it's like my brand, even okay. though I hate describing myself that way. But yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's like a YouTube channel. It's like the blog posts. I also have Instagram and Twitter and like working on a course. So it's like a bunch of different things. <laughs> awesome. So walk us through how and why you are where you are with your YouTube community of over 360,000 followers with, and you also have tons of blog tutorials and guest posts. How did this all kind of come to be? Hmm, yeah, it's a long story or it's a long process. Um, hopefully mm -hmm. I can shorten the actual storytelling, <laughs> but it started out as just a blog um, because that's what I was most familiar with. Again, going back to Zanga days. Um, and so I felt very comfortable writing tutorials that, you know, could be helpful for people. And then I think after the blog, I somehow found out about Instagram, that there are a lot of developers on Instagram. So I thought that was really cool. So I went, jumped to Instagram next, and then I just started basically taking pictures of my desk setup because I guess that's really popular since it's like, at least it started out as just a photo sharing app. So I did that and it was really cool because I made a lot of friends on Instagram, um, hmm. other developers just through, you know, commenting on people's posts and stuff like that. So I think that that was like, I think one very sort of, you know, positive aspect of social media that you can, you can connect with other people who are in similar situations as you are. And I can see how beginner web devs on Instagram could sort of support each other and help each other. And um, yeah, just like, answer questions and stuff like that. Um, so I, I do think that, that there's definitely a sense of community um, on Instagram when, when I started out. Not that it's changed, but I haven't been super active on there um, recently. But hopefully we'll get back to that soon. Um, and then after Instagram, I... So I think I had made a YouTube video, like one YouTube video, like very early on. And I just never did one again for like, I can't remember, like two years or three years. So I had a YouTube channel, but I didn't, I wasn't really active on it until maybe two years into the whole coder coder thing. Mm. So that was obviously I've seen a lot of growth on YouTube, which has been 
pretty crazy to look at. Um, but yeah, I sort of focused mainly on YouTube because I felt like the content there has a better longevity versus Instagram, which is like, you got to feed the algorithm like three or four times a week. Otherwise, you know, your, your posts are going to drop like a rock. Right. Um, whereas on YouTube, it just felt like you spent a lot of time creating a video and, you know, depending on how it's received, it can do really well for, you know, years, honestly. Um, some of my best performing videos are still getting, you know, a few hundred views a day, um, even wow. three years after they were made. So wow. I think that's one reason why I've focused mainly on YouTube the past couple of years. And so what are some of the, some of the avenues that you release your content free paid? Um, most of it, pretty much all of it actually is free. So, you know, it's free on my blog and then free content on YouTube and then, you know, social media posts is kind of like a extra mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, I have, I do have a YouTube membership. Um, it's more for just if people want to support me they pay like a small monthly thing and then they get a little icon next to their name if they leave a comment on a video. But it's mainly for, I think, people who just like, I don't know, want to say thank you in some financial way. Um, and then I am also working on a course and that will be paid. So that's, that's kind of my major focus right now, actually. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about your course. <laughs> what is it, what is it going to be? The course is called Responsive Design for Beginners. And in it, I'm doing similar to what I do in my live coding videos where people can watch me build a website from scratch. However, the big difference is the amount of preparation that goes into what I say. So the live coding videos on YouTube is just like off the cuff, you know, I <laughs> will have long pauses as I'm looking up stuff, things like that. It's just whatever kind of like comes to the top of my head when I'm talking through coding this website versus this course. It's like, I cannot um, <laughs> overestimate how much more time has gone into making this than I originally thought. I think I originally <laughs> thought I could make this in like, pop this out in like three months, but I think it's been like maybe all, like more than a year of like on and off working on it. Um, so it's a lot of explaining, trying to cover a certain set of topics as I build this website. So I made the design myself in Figma and I included elements of websites that, you know, are very commonly found like the hamburger menu, making rounded corners, you know, background images, um, you know, some um, SVG images, th things like that, like responsive three column layouts that go to one column on mobile. So I sort of planned this out very explicitly to make sure that I, you know, explain and cover these problems that most people will, you know, come up against when they're building a website. So there's a lot of planning involved and not only just on the building website, but I realized that I needed to give people some, I guess you could call them prereqs. So the half of the course is building a website. The first half is like introduction. So it's like, I explain SAS, how mm. to compile SAS. Um, I explain Git and GitHub because we're doing that. So just these very sort of more foundational things. So that's going to be the first half, maybe the first third of the final amount of course content. So there's going to be a lot in there. 
I'm thinking maybe the final product might be about 20 hours of course material, mm. but Amazing. you know, I do try to put out high quality content. So it's just, there's a lot of research that's gone into things uh, because I don't want to say anything that's inaccurate or obsolete or things like that. So yeah, I think I'm pretty excited for how it's going to turn out. It's just taking a little bit longer than I originally anticipated. I'm really excited to see, see it come out and see, see how, uh, you know, what the response is, given that this is slightly different, right. Than than your normal content. And it sounds like the main difference is going to be, this is just a lot more in depth, a lot more polished, a lot more really full, I guess I use the term end to end, right. Where it's like Mm -hmm. you start at the very, very beginning and then you end up with, with a the polished website is that is that accurate or are there other differences between this new course that's coming out and your youtube youtube courses yeah i think you you got it um it's definitely way more polished um and more more comprehensive for sure just because of all the context that i sort of supply um explanations for why things are the way they are um i will say that this might not be for complete beginners like the first thing you've ever watched Mm -hmm. as a tutorial so i think it's for beginners who have kind of gotten the basics already of HTML and CSS and maybe a little bit of JavaScript. Um, so yeah. Okay. So what you're saying is they should watch some of your other videos first <laughs> and then sign up for the course. Yeah. Or, awesome. or check out like free code camp or, you know, something like that. Perfect. Perfect. Great. So, kind of want to move into just sort of a little bit of just some randomness, you know, kind of speaking to your Instagram posts and, you know, your recording setup and things like that, given that, you know, we're both content creators. I I would love to hear kind of about, you know, what you're, what you're doing to to produce your content. So what's your, what is your typical recording setup? Like your mic setup, software editing tools, how do you record stuff? That sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so usually I'm recording here in my office where I am currently. Um, the microphone I have is sort of relatively new. It's an Electro Voice RE20. It is kind of on the more high end, like uh, a lot of streamers, like I think PewDiePie has this mic, stuff like that. <laughs> but it's a, I got it because it's a, um, a dynamic microphone. Um, and it, the microphone that I had before which was the Audio-Technica AT2020, which is really good. And it's also much cheaper. Um, That's a condenser mic. So it just was, there's a lot of background noise coming in. And like I live near a busy street. So we were hoping that this new mic will help cut out the background noise, which it does a pretty good job of. Um, That's a microphone. Camera is a bit older. It's an A7S. And I think it's like, gosh, might be six years old now, but still works pretty good. Um, And then I use OBS to record screencasts. And then my husband uses basically the entire Adobe suite (laughs) when doing the videos. So it's like, you know, Adobe Premiere, After Effects to make animations and Illustrator and Photoshop, just because you kind of need those two. Um, So yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Oh, and also, Treating the room for acoustic dampening is, mm. I would say, maybe as important, maybe if not more important than the actual gear you have, because, yeah, you don't want an echoey room. That sounds not so good. So I got a carpet, 
under my desk, I got some, my husband made some DIY like sound panels behind the desk. Um, and then I also got sound dampening curtains next to me. So it's really, you really just want to get rid of the, the, the bounce in acoustics. I'm sure you, you probably know all this as you're like a <laughs> expert in that. I do. I love hearing it though, because it's, it, you're absolutely right. It's, it's so much, just like you said, even more about the room than it is about the gear that you have. You can make a very inexpensive mic sound incredible depending on the room that you're in. Yeah. So what about keyboard mods? You have some really cool Instagram posts about <laughs> some keyboard mods. So tell me, tell me what is your favorite, uh, favorite keyboard, uh, favorite keycaps, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, I think my keyboard sort of has progressed from, I had this, um, I had like a, a Logitech, like ergonomic keyboard, mm -hmm. which is like a, a kind of a regular, like membrane keyboard. And like, that was fine. It had like a split key thing, which I kind of like, um, are those the ones that are kind of like rounded. It's like wavy. Sort of edited. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. super wavy, but it's like kind of wavy. Um, yeah. so I, I yeah. actually do like the ergonomic part of that, but then I tried, you know, I kept hearing about mechanical keyboards. So I tried this ducky keyboard. And I got the clackiest um, switches possible, the the blues, <laughs> and they were fun. But yeah. I realized it takes a lot of effort to like press a key. So the keyboard that I currently have, I did get it from the brand um, Vissels. Mm. It's like um, they make this mechanical keyboard. You can't change the switches, I think, because they come with their proprietary switches. But they're very similar to like the cherry mx reds i think they're linear switches and i realize that i like the linear ones more than the ones with the bump i just feel like i, I can i really feel like i can type faster um and it feels really nice but it's not too much effort like the blues and it's also quieter so it's kind of like a win-win um in my book so i i really like the linear switches um keycaps i haven't really gotten into that world. I know a lot of people get super like into the details and like, I totally respect that, but it's not an area that I see myself like enjoying really. So I'm just happy if it works like pretty well, <laughs> yeah. but I, you can get some cool custom keycaps from like Etsy and stuff. So I have some that are like, um, original Nintendo cartridge looking ones, which I really like. <laughs> um, and there's some other ones from this place called uh, dwarf factory. I think they're based out of Vietnam, but they make like really amazing, artistic, super cool looking keycaps. And they did provide me with the keycap. So there's that, but they are very cool. That's awesome. And what about uh, favorite productivity hack, like a software hack or hardware hack? Um, I, <laughs> I don't even know if I'm very productive. I know that sounds weird because I'm like a content creator, but I feel like I could be more disciplined about stuff, but some things that I've used that I like is, um, I use Trello to sort of manage the content, keep track of any video ideas. That's been super helpful just to have a place for all that. Um, and I also do Pomodoros. I've been doing those more recently. Um, and that's helped a lot actually, uh, with just kind of maintaining focus and you feel like you've achieved something. So I think it gives you more motivation to keep working. Um, so that's what I found. And then other than that, the main tool that I 
think helps my productivity is this mini dry erase board that I just use to like take random notes on. Um, but it actually helps like even if I'm working on a video idea or like a website project, I'll use it to organize in different parts. Um, and so that's, I really like having that super helpful. That's awesome. And what about your favorite video that you've produced so far? Ooh, that's a hard one. Um, I think it's kind of funny. I think there's two types of videos on my, maybe three types. The main two types are ones that are super high production value, like the Mortal Kombat video you mentioned. <laughs> also the office tour video, which didn't get as many views, which kind of makes sense because it's kind of out, outside of my normal niche. But that one, the office tour video is the highest amount of effort for production because um, we made it kind of look like a video game um, in the office tour. So if you haven't seen that, feel free to check it out. Um, but then on the other side of the extreme are videos that take very little time to produce. So like the best example of this is I made a coding time lapse of me building the course website um, design. And I just took a time lapse of it and zero editing. My husband didn't touch the video, but I uploaded it and it like did really well. So I felt kind of bad because <laughs> like the, it was like the lowest level of effort possible. <laughs> Um, so I think, you know, it's a, it's a good lesson that like the, the content and the information in the video is most important. It's more important than, you know, all the bells and whistles that you could throw at it with green screens and what have you. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Well, awesome. Well, anything else, any other tips or advice that we didn't cover? I mean, we, we covered a lot of ground and a lot of really great things that, that you've shared today but anything else that we may have missed or you want to talk about before we move on to our last segment? Um, I can't think of anything. I do feel like we did cover a lot of information. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Awesome. Well, let's move on to our last section now, which is called building bits and bytes. And it's a lightning round. So I'm going to put you in the hot seat. <laughs> I ask all my guests, and it's four questions. Are you ready? Yes. Why do you build software? Mainly to help people improve their lives. Who is your cheerleader or your support system? I'd say my husband is number one and friends I have and also other YouTubers that I've made friends with over the years. Best advice you've ever received? I would say try to be empathetic and to put yourself in the shoes of the people around you. Um, and this is this can apply to basically, I think, every every aspect of life, in my opinion. Any tech or any tools you're using to help solve everyday problems? Um, I think I mentioned this already, but I use Trello to help manage myself. Um, probably also Google Drive, but I feel like everyone uses that these days. <laughs> Well, perfect. So before we before we go and wrap up, uh, where can people find you on the web? Yeah, I'm on YouTube. My channel is called Coder Coder. And I'm on Instagram and Twitter at The Coder Coder. And the blog is coder-coder.com. Wonderful. And we'll put all those in the, in the show notes as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jessica, for, for joining me today. 
on on the podcast. It was such a pleasure having you here to talk, giving us your wisdom, talking about your channel, you know, talking about being patient with yourself, giving yourself time to learn, um, to fail and to get better, being realistic. I think that was, I think that's really important with yourself, knowing that it's not okay to know everything and, you know, being a team player and also giving us a, a nice little sneak peek into your, into your course. Um, so thank you again so much for being here. It was really, really wonderful to have you. Yeah. Thanks Nigel for having me. This is, this is a really fun conversation. All right, y'all will check out her website again. It's at coder coder.com and her YouTube channel. Trust me, if you haven't checked it out, you're going to love this. And if you have even the slightest urge to code or have been even coding for a while, either way, check out her content. It will not disappoint. And I, you know, I have to say my biggest takeaway from watching her content. And as she says it herself, not only will she teach you how to code, but she will teach you how to learn. So join her coder crew today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Building with People for People, the Unfiltered Build podcast. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you heard, please leave a review. If you're building something that is interesting and aims to solve a human problem and would like to be a guest on this show, please send me an email at jointhepodcast at unfilteredbuild.com. Until next time, go build with people.